put on our rah-rah skirts and our recession scarves, <laughs> our toothbrush earrings. Three. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. How are you going? I'm all right. Good. You're looking good. Shiny. Shiny, shiny, right down behind me. Shiny, shiny, la, 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 la. Uh, That's an 80s song. No one listening will remember that. <laughs> no one. Hazy Fantasy. I don't know. It was pretty big. It's going to have a comeback, maybe. I've got some fun facts about those two people that were in that band. She yeah. is now a famous fashion photographer. Oh. Probably taken loads and loads of beautiful pictures, iconic pictures that you never knew it was her. Wow. He is a DJ and was briefly married, like most people, to Patsy Kensett. Sorry, Patsy. Threw a bit of shade there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nothing wrong with getting multiply married. Nothing wrong with it. No. As long as it's one at a time, not all together. That's not okay. That's not legal. Well, do you know what? If you're, what is it, Amish? I think it's okay. No. I think it might be Mormon. Mormon. Oh, mm. <laughs> the Mormons. And, and other um, arms of, I don't Mormonism. know. Mormonism. That kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, Michelle, you're Michelle. I'm Geordie. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Geordie. I'm Michelle. You are an eavesdropper because you are listening to us eavesdropping the podcast. Guess what, Michelle? We've got our first voice note. I got it just two seconds ago <gasps> from lovely listener Shari, who, congratulations, Shari, you are the first. She wanted to be the first. She is the bloody first. That's you in the bag, Shari. Thank you. I think there's one on the emails from Safka as well. <gasps> I have just been told by Michelle that there's another one that she hasn't listened to yet. It's from Safka. Who was first, Michelle? I don't know. We're going to have to look at the timestamps and see. (laughs) (laughs) We could award them both for equal first place. How's that, girls? We could. One's best and fairest. The other one's... Honourable mention. The winner? The winner, okay. Honourable mention. (laughs) You know, if you want us to play them as well, I mean, I don't know if I should play this one. It's just, it's cute. It's sweet. It's nice to hear her voice. She's sounding happy and bright. I believe she's on a road trip right now because I do see her on social media. And she went and saw the Sparks, which is one of my favourite bands. Amazing. Those guys are ancient. They are 78 and 75 brothers. <laughs> and they're bouncing around on stage. That sounds amazing. Well, I've not listened to Safka's voice note yet. Can't wait because it just dropped in. So can't wait to do that. Eavesdroppers, look out for our next episode. There might be some voice notes yes you can send us voice notes if you're feeling some people like to email us like many 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 times because they're obviously listening and they feel like they're having a conversation with us and they're kind of responding to each point so a voice note with all of those points condensed would be fantastic (laughs) i don't mind how people want to get in touch we love it i don't mind either i love it in fact michelle I haven't discussed this with Michelle yet, so I'm just freestyle and shooting the breeze styly here. Michelle, what do you think about a future episode? I had a thought this morning yes. about travel stories of note. Okay. For example, we did talk about once before when I went to Russia. Yes. Where did I go? St. Petersburg in Russia. And I didn't make it to Moscow for work because there was a siege. 
and we talked about that siege. Yes, we did. But I didn't go. So I, that wasn't an occasion to talk about because I wasn't there. Didn't have to go because of the terrorism. But there are other great stories that I've got and I'm sure you've got as well. Oh, yes. And I'd like to hear the listeners as well. If they've got any great asides or anecdotes about times they went traveling and something noteworthy happened. Now, it doesn't have to be a global... Doesn't have to be a siege. No, it could also just be, because this happens to me all the time, I sit next to people and we start talking and kind of love on the plane. Well, you fell in love with someone on a plane? It's happened. It, I wouldn't say it was love, love, but there has been plane romance. I mean, I'm not talking Mile High Club. You had a crush. More than that. I felt like, is this my soulmate? How did this happen? I don't know if it's because you're both just on a plane or you just have this really deep connection with someone. But Captive audience. <laughs> they have to hear me talk. But it, <laughs> Poor bloke. Honestly, I actually now take a book. Even if I don't read it, it's a signal. Don't speak to me. It's a barrier. Yeah. It is a barrier. Great idea. So, eavesdroppers, if you have any travel stories, get in touch. Voice note right. it. Email it. Voice note it. All of the above. Yes. Thank you. Hey, Michelle, have you watched anything of interest this week on the television? I have had no time. You probably can't see, but I am covered in... Well, they can't, but I can. You can. I'm covered in white paint. It's all through my hair. It's the kind of paint that doesn't come out. Oh, so now you'll always look like you've got huge flakes of dandruff. Worse than that, it looks like I'm going grey. Nothing wrong with that. Well, it's not for me. It's the look. It is a look, except it's only a look when you go to the hairdresser and pay a lot of money for it. If it's natural grey, I'm not sure it's for me. I'm not sure I like it. I've got my workman's trousers on. I've had no time for telly. But if you've got a telly rack, I'm all ears. Well, do you remember you told me to watch the Beckham <gasps> documentary? Did you love it? I didn't watch it. I went one better. I watched the Colleen Rooney documentary. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, the Colleen, I can't even remember what it's called. I think it's on Disney Plus and it's called Colleen Rooney, The Real Wagatha Story or something like that. And it's quite well done. It's astonishing, Michelle. You know that girl was 16, still in school when she was going out with Wayne Rooney, who was one of the youngest players ever to play for England. He started out, I think, at Manchester City or Everton. Forgive me, football fans. I'm wrong. I know I am. One of those is right. One of them is wrong. So all the media went after her. They just wanted pictures of her. They wanted stuff. They'd camp outside her school and take pictures yeah. of her. I've always thought she was a bit of a dipstick, to be honest. Excuse the language. But actually, she's a really intelligent, really thoughtful woman from a lovely family who adopted and fostered lots of children who needed care. I did not know that about Colleen Rooney because... When I was working on one of my trash mags back in the day, we actually gave her a column and she just came across as a bit of a dumb wag. And so I was like, oh yeah, wag this, wag that, all my latest handbag. She was very much that whole embodiment of what it meant to be a wag, you know, the curled hair, the makeup, whatever. So I'm really surprised to hear that. Maybe I'll check it out when I've got five minutes. Five minutes, you're going to need more than that. I think it's quite long. Okay. And it's about how she caught 
the woman out who there was a mole amongst her private Instagram followers. We've oh. all got, you know, our <laughs> own personal private Instagram when we're in the media, don't we, Michelle? And she's got one for her public, one for private, where she posts pictures of her children and stuff like that and says things that she's up to. And suddenly she was seeing all this stuff being leaked to the papers, right. particularly one paper, The Sun, who most Liverpudlians would not touch with a barge pole right. because of the Hillsborough disaster and the way that the Sun backed the police's version of events way back then when it happened. Liverpool fans were blamed, so they just don't touch that paper at all. So all of these leaks were going to the Sun. So that's how Colleen knew it can't be one of her family or friends. So she searched a bit deeper, found a recent addition who was another footballer's wife and who has been on TV here in the UK. And suddenly she's also getting all these favourable photo spreads in the sun and huh. its Sunday supplements. Right. So she figured it out pretty quickly, set a few traps. Yep. Eventually she found her out, went to court. The rest is history. You must know about that. No, but good on you, Colleen, because nobody likes a mole, unless you're a fish-faced mole, <laughs> <laughs> like Safka always calls us. But you know what? Going back to Beckham, a friend of mine who had recommended it to me, she had said, please watch it. Ultimately, it is about football, but it's also about marriage and middle age. And I did think she has got a point because you see David Beckham now. He's a little bit OCD. He loves to clean his house. He's got... I wish my husband did. You see their life when they first got together and what they went through. It was hell. A little bit like Colin Rooney, they got stalked by paparazzi to the point where it was dangerous and we talked about this with the Britney episode as well where she had the baby in the car and she just freaked out celebrities are only human and the Beckhams they also look back at themselves and they're like we don't even recognize that couple anymore with their thrones in their thrones and their matching leather and their triple denim and their purple wedding outfits do you remember it was no quite wild I remember there was a throne there were two thrones they were the king and queen <laughs> I actually think they are really in love he adores her still to this day she wears the pants for sure and I'm not sure that she comes across very favorably even though it was her production company that made that documentary so I think if you're in the mood for more waggy series give it a go well, why not? Because right now the rest of the world has gone to hell in a handcart. So let's have some frivolous frivolity of the rich and famous football stars. Well, I don't know that today's topic is going to be much frivolity, but I am going to talk to you about some celebrities. I know that it was your choice of topic today. So I wanted to just ask this question to you. Yeah. Have you ever had a stalker? Yes, I have. Do you want to reveal any more than that? <laughs> I've had a couple. I think I've told you about one of them. Remind me. All that happened, when I was at school, there was a chap whose family knew my family. I didn't know him from a bar of soap, but I knew his sister. And she said, are you going out with my brother on the bus one day? And I was like, no. And before you know it, I had this guy who used to do weird things, call upon call upon me call upon me are you from the victorian <laughs> gentleman era? caller he would ring up and speak to my mum and say does does georgette want to go fishing with me 
does Georgette want to go bowling with me? And the answer was always no. In fact, I'd hide. I used to hide from anybody who'd come around to my house asking me out all the time. I didn't like it. And then later, when I'd left home and I lived in Canberra, I did have another stalker. I'm too friendly, Michelle. This is mm. a problem. We had to hide. I remember myself and my friend Sarah having to hide in our pantry one day oh, God. from this guy. And then another time, we left our flatmate, Alec, who's the photojournalist who sometimes writes in. He was in the house and just heard this rattling throughout the house. All of us were gone except Alec. And this person burst into his room he'd been going through all our drawers no yeah was any underwear missing i'm not sure my memory doesn't extend that far back (laughs) well i had sort of a stalker but it was a little bit odd because was it your pe teacher no he was just a creepy pe teacher who was asking a 13 year old girl to go on a sunday drive with him not (laughs) cool not nasty That is teacher's pet. If you don't know what we're talking about, fantastic podcast, listen to it. No, this was something different. I'd briefly been seeing this guy and actually it had been very nice. And then he'd gone overseas and I'd met somebody else. I'd moved on. When he came back, he was obsessed with me. I knew that he was stalking me because I would see his car parked outside my house I would see him in the distance I knew that he had been stalking his ex because he told me about when he knew that she'd got a new boyfriend he would stand outside her apartment and watch her window watch her close the curtains wait there for hours see if the guy left so I knew he was doing it to me oh my goodness and I remember I was in Sydney one time and I was playing a gig and he came into the gig stood right at the front because he knew I couldn't really do anything and just stood there. Stared you down. Stared me down. And then it was literally only for like two minutes because it was not even the duration of the song. So he'd obviously come in, stood there, made sure I knew that he was there. And oh, then no. Left. That's not sexy. It's really not sexy. So he knew where I lived. He knew where I was playing, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Eventually, you know, I think he just stopped because I didn't see him anymore. However... You know, on LinkedIn, where you can see who's looked at yeah. your LinkedIn profile. Oh, no. He'd been looking at my LinkedIn. So I thought, oh, uh, God, uh. give it a rest. Do you know, Michelle, it's funny you should bring this up because this morning I was looking at news. I have alerts for the Australian news as well as obviously the English news where I live. And something popped up. Two things popped up. Apparently, it's very sad. There was a girl murdered by her ex-boyfriend recently in Sydney I think it was with a hammer going back to your story from a few weeks ago and then there was also in the same news alert there was a guy has now been arrested from a cold case in the 80s very much like teacher's pet Lynn Dawson who went missing and never found the body this is almost mirroring that story and they've decided that it was the, the husband after all who has been living under an alias for the last 20-odd years, known as Raymond Reddington. Raymond Reddington? That's the name of the character of James Spader in that TV show. What's it called? The Blacklist. The Blacklist. No! I was going to say it was the red glove. The Blacklist. (laughs) Yes. The Blacklist. Because you know that I fancied James Spader in that. Who doesn't? 
I wouldn't mind if he touched me inappropriately. Right. That is really awful. And why did nobody click? I know. Who's called Raymond Reddington? Honestly, even if you haven't heard of the TV show, you're going to go, oh, that's quite made up. Trojan true. Trojan true. I've just got to say one more shout out, by the way, to our youngest listener. I believe he's our youngest. Callum. Calva Pal, as you like to call him. I forgot to run that nickname by him when I saw him yesterday, very sadly at a funeral. And he is still listening. And I said I'd give him another shout out. Here you are, Callum. Cal the Pal. <laughs> he's a magnificent young gentleman, I have to say. He's stunningly stylish and Really interesting, and I can see he's going to go far. Most likely to see In life. <laughs> so back to stalkers. It was your choice today to do stalkers. So I decided to have a little dig into why people become stalkers. It's kind of the usual suspects that we've heard before when we look at cult leaders or murderers. Mm. And I'm not saying that people who are stalkers are murderers. They can be. Yeah, exactly. It seems to me that it's kind of a bit of a lucky dip when it comes to what people with particular mental health disorders end up focusing on. Fair play. I actually have no basis, in fact, for that statement. It's just my thoughts, so don't come for me. When I say it's kind of your bog-standard mental health disorders, I'm talking things like OCD, where stalkers can get obsessively fixated on their victims or delusions. You know, they, they are delusional, where they believe they're somehow in a relationship with the victim, which then leads to their stalking behaviour. Let's not demonise OCD, though, because it's something that a lot of people do suffer from in different ways. And it can be really damaging and really difficult to live with, like in ways that don't affect other people, just the person suffering. Well, this is what I mean when I said I feel like it's a bit of a, a lucky dip as to how if you have this disorder, how it's going to manifest. Some people become stalkers. Sure. Other people just wash their hands until they bleed. It's a big Oof. spectrum of stuff. Or have intrusive thoughts that they can't help, things that are just appalling. Almost like listening to this podcast on a loop constantly in your own mind. Digging into this, I feel that there's a whole gamush of personality disorders, like <laughs> borderline personality disorder. Yes, BPD. Those ones are really difficult, I think. They're the ones that are troubling. Yes. The BPDs, the NPDs, narcissistic personality disorder. I don't know enough about well, them. Well, that's though, on my list. Honest. And also antisocial behaviour. They can all contribute to somebody becoming a stalker. But none of these things make you a stalker. So it's a bit hard to pin down. But what might tip you over the edge is if you have some of the mental health disorders accompanied by, for example, a failed relationship. Yeah. People are more likely to start being a stalker after a personal or a romantic relationship ends because, you know, rejection can be a really powerful motivator to start stalking the person who rejected you. Or maybe you just want answers from them. And that can lead to some kind of obsession with either revenge or taking back control. So that's why you start stalking. But then there are stalkers who are fixated or infatuated with their victim. And that's normally what happens with celebrities. Like Jill Dando. Yeah, someone in the public spotlight. Or it could be someone new that you've just met, which then just leads to consistent and persistent stalking behaviour. Then there are stalkers who 
want power and control over their victims by making their victims feel scared, which then kind of gives the stalker a bit of a false sense of superiority and dominance over that person. You've also got stalkers who might create these elaborate fantasies involving the victim, which kind of blurs the line between reality and imagination. And the stalking becomes a way to live out those fantasies. Some stalkers are triggered to start stalking because of social rejection or isolation. And for them, stalking the victim can seem like a way to kind of actually have a kind of fucked up relationship or connection with that person. But it's completely one way. And also past trauma can also trigger stalking behavior because... For some stalkers, I think traumatic events from their past can lead to attachment issues or low self-esteem or problems forming healthy relationships with people. And then stalking becomes their way of coping with those kind of emotional scars from the past. But I think probably the scariest type of stalker is the one that has no empathy. Oh, yeah. That means kind of the stalker's have no clue how to empathize with their victims. It's all about them. And they have no idea of the fear they're causing when they stalk someone, which means that they keep going with the stalking because they don't have any kind of sense of awareness of what they're doing. It can absolutely ruin your life being stalked. Absolutely. It can fuck you up to the point where you don't want to leave the house. You know, you're too scared to do anything. But with all that in mind... I thought I would look at the time Madonna got stalked. Oh, Madonna. Because the material girl, you know, she's an 80s icon. We're going to step in our little time machine. Put on our rah-rah skirts and our recession scarves, (laughs) (laughs) our toothbrush earrings. Yes, but actually, to be fair, when she got stalked, it was May 29. 1995. Okay. It was when a guy called Robert Dewey Hoskins went to Madonna's house in the Hollywood Hills. (gasps) He scaled the fence. Oh, God. Because obviously her house has a massive fence around it. And he was then shot (gasps) by Madonna's bodyguards. Oh, my gosh. This guy, the stalker, he was charged with one count of stalking, one count of making a terrorist threat against Madonna, and one count each of making terrorist threats against her bodyguard and her secretary, and one count of assaulting the bodyguard. Wow, this guy was... It got really serious. Committed to his job of stalking. And I found an article where it had parts of the court testimony from Basil Stevens, who was one of Madonna's bodyguards, who said that Madonna always had fans that came to take pics outside her house. And some even tried to get over that wall. But of all the fans that he ever came in contact with, This guy, Robert, seemed way more dangerous and threatening than all of them, which is why he actually decided to get a gun after Robert threw two bags over the wall and then climbed that wall and jumped over. Oh, God. What was in the bags? I'm just thinking masking tape, cable ties. Do you know what? I think it actually had some clothes in there because... He's going to stay the night. He said it was like he was (laughs) moving in. Toothbrush, (laughs) toothbrush earrings. The rah-rah skirt. (laughs) So it seems that Robert actually had been to Madonna's house two times before the time he got shot. And on the second time he'd gone to a house, Basil said that Robert had threatened to kill him if he did not give Madonna a note that he'd written on some crazy church pamphlet. And apparently it had the word defiled 
written in large letters. Yes, across the top. And then it also had things scrawled all over it like, I love you. You will be my wife for keeps. (laughs) Kiss, 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 kiss. It's for keeps. For keeps. And I actually read that Madonna said she was frightened by the note because, and this is a quote, she said, it's irrational. It's not based in reality. And I think that that makes you feel really scared. After this whole thing, she immediately put her house up for sale. So I think she did. Who lives there now? Some poor sod. Someone like, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe. I mean, this was back in the 90s. So they probably got it for a song in terms of today's prices. But I think she did honestly feel scared by this guy. Like the things that he wrote, when I kind of read it, I actually at first thought, you know, it's not that scary. Like, I love you. You'll be my wife for keeps. It's like, mm, <laughs> all right. But then I read that Basil, the bodyguard, was really unnerved by Robert. I bet Basil's like six foot nine or something. Well, he's six foot and he's a 195 pound bodyguard who had trained as a boxer. He thought this guy was unhinged and obsessed. He said it was as much this guy, Robert's demeanor, as the threats that frightened him. And right. he said in court that, yeah, that this guy had a determined look in his eye and a determined manner. And I kind of get that because when you see people who've got a bit of a wild look in their eye, you feel like they're a bit of a loose cannon. I'm thinking of Charles Manson right now. Oh, He had that look in his eye. He did. I know I said to you once, was he handsome? And then I looked <laughs> at him. Just it's a hard no. Basil went on to say that he did think Robert was dangerous. His behaviour went from bizarre to violent on that day. And it all started when Basil and another security guy saw Robert over the wall and on Madonna's property. So they went up to him to try to escort him off the grounds. But when they confronted him, Robert shouted at them and said, I live on the estate, and that they would be fired from their jobs for disturbing him. (laughs) As he's like hoiking his leg over the barbed wire fence. Yeah, and then he just walked away. I don't know why the security dudes didn't just get him off the property right away. They let him just walk off. And when they saw him, like a short while after that, he was standing by Madonna's pool, which was not oh. far from her bedroom. And he was in just a pair of shorts and he was dripping wet. So he'd just oh. gone for a swim. Oh, how dare you? Liberties. Well, you know, in his mind, he lived there. So at this point, they're shouting at him, like, get on the ground. And they've got their guns. But he was like, whatever. Started getting dry. Grabbed some clothes out of those bags he tossed over the wall. And just started getting dressed like nothing was wrong, even though he had two guns pointed at him. My goodness, this guy. I know. So Basil and the security, the other security guard, realized that Robert did not give a shit about having those guns pointed at him. So they put the guns away and Basil stayed near Robert to keep an eye on him while his colleague went to see if the police had arrived. But according to Basil, Robert went for him and really tried to choke him and tried to take Basil's gun out of the holster. Oh no, imagine if he'd got that. I know. So Basil eventually got his gun and shot Robert twice. And actually, Basil said he thought he'd killed Basil. Or Robert. Ten minutes later, yeah, ten minutes later, he was relieved to see Robert sitting by the pool with wounds to his abdomen and his arm. And I don't know why he left him there. He left him. 
Yeah, he could have gone to call an ambulance because obviously, you know, this is 95. These guys probably didn't have mobiles. So after he shot him, he probably ran off to get help or an ambulance. So when he went back and saw him by the pool, Basil, who I think sounds like a good guy, said to him, there's an ambulance coming. I'm sorry I shot you. And then Robert apparently said back to him, no problem. As he's sitting there with a gunshot wound to his abdomen. abdomen. That's apparently one of the most painful places to get shot as well. I don't think you recover. I mean, we've seen all those line of duty where they always get shot in the abdomen. They don't come back. Madonna was subpoenaed to appear in court and she didn't want to go because she felt like showing up and being in the same courtroom as him was kind of making all his fantasies come true. But she was legally bound to appear, so she did. And she said she'd actually seen him outside her gate the second time he'd been hanging around her house. And she had been disturbed by the way he was acting. And she said, quote, He had a really crazy look in his eyes and he was staring at me in a very strange way. And then she said, looks like the freaks are out today. So I just thought, nice one, Madonna. That is a perfect way to antagonize a stalker. That's a crazy thing to say to someone. I mean, it's quite inflammatory. Then she goes on to say, I said it in a half-joking manner, but I was actually very disturbed about the look in his eye. So I think she was just being quite flippant with him. But what I think made her really scared was that Robert allegedly had told the security guard who was on that day through the intercom at the gate that he would slice Madonna's throat from ear to ear Oh, and kill him and everybody in the house if he did not get to see Madonna. Yes, but... The alternative is don't let him in to see Madonna and then you're not under threat of being sliced and killed. You didn't think it through. So I get why Madonna would feel freaked out by the whole throat slicing. Well, yeah, I get that. When the security guard told Robert that Madonna wasn't home, he freaked out and said they had to let him in because he was Madonna's husband. And then he made all of these death threats. Surely they must have known that wasn't him. A lot of errors were made that day. Yes. Who's accountable? Who's accountable? Well, the upshot is Robert Dewey Hoskins, who I did read was essentially a homeless person with mental health problems. Oh. I know. Then it kind of changes the lens with which you look through his behavior. He just wanted to dip in that nice pool. He had a nice afternoon, apart from being shot. And I think when he threw those bags over, that was probably bin bags full of all his stuff he owned in the world. Well, look, he was convicted of stalking and threatening to kill Madonna. And he was also convicted of threatening to kill Norman, the bodyguard, and Madonna's personal assistant, and assaulting Basil, the bodyguard. Yes, and Basil. They've all got great names, her bodyguards. I know, Norman and Basil. Prerequisites, you have to have really old-fashioned names. I know, we just need Nigel in there and it's the trifecta. (laughs) Tarquin and Trevor, Beauregard. Love that. But he was sentenced to 10 years in prison with psychiatric care, which I think is good. Now, you think that's probably the end of it, but he apparently had also been stalking Halle Berry. So Madonna wasn't the only one. busy boy. And news reports came out a few years later that a storage unit belonging to Robert Dewey Hoskins was emptied out because he'd stopped paying the storage fees. All his stuff was sold to one of those guys who buy stuff in storage units sight unseen like storage wars storage hunters yeah all that kind of stuff when he realized the stuff was from madonna stalker he called the police and they found weird stuff in there like a headless baby doll creepy no a home video of a primary school play 
Now, Robert has no kids. No. So the police thought that was also creepy. Oh. Uh, there was a photo of Robert with no shirt on, which showed some kind of Madonna tattoo on his stomach framed alongside a picture of Madonna in a similar pose. So I think he was trying to put them together in his mind. And um, they also found a notebook full of like ranty writings, loads of knives, a sad clown mask and an H&M ad of Madonna, which I thought maybe was because he thought H&M was, you know, Hoskins and Madonna. I don't know. Right. There was also a Barbie backpack in there. After he'd done his 10 years in prison, I think mostly under psychiatric care, he was transferred to a psych hospital where he escaped. And it was all over the news that he was psychotic. But they finally found him after a week. He hadn't done anything weird. And they took him back to the psych hospital. And I tried to do a where is he now, but I couldn't really find anything. Because your subscription to the dark web run out, is it, Michelle? It has. I'm sorry, listeners. I've let you down. But I hope he's leading a happy, stalking-free life somewhere. Finding inner happiness. You know, there's a lot of celebrities who've had stalkers. In fact, we ought to do a Patreon about this for our special paid patrons. Yes. Keep an eye out for that in the future. Michelle will do a little link to our Patreon account if you'd like to sign up. www.eavesdroppingpodcast.com Hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com Email us a story. Share, like, all of that. Follow our social media. Like, subscribe. Instagram and Facebook. Yep, you know what you At eavesdropping underscore. You yep. got that oh, right. eavesdropping. So I'm going to tell you today about a story that I found that was written in 2018. It was an article by a man called Reeves Weiderman, and it was in something called The Cut which is the New York Magazine supplement. I don't know. It's in there. It's about a family and uh, the married couple of that family, the married couple, some children, Derek and Maria Broadus. Now, they finally found their dream home in June 2014 in a leafy suburb called Westfield in New Jersey. The house was gorgeous, magnificent Dutch colonial, six-bedroom house, Maria's childhood suburb. She grew up there. The house cost $1.3 million. And uh, Westfield, it's about 28 miles from Manhattan. And it is apparently one of the most safest places to live in America. And Maria, always her dream to return to the place where she grew up and raise her own family. So they made that dream a reality. Now, the broadest family and their three young children were thrilled they managed to buy this home. There was stiff competition to get this house, Mm. bidding wars and whatnot. And they excitedly planned to be in by Christmas. But there was a few bits of work to do first. Three days after closing the sale on the house, Jim went round to do some maintenance work. And while he was there, he checked the letterbox. In it, he found a letter addressed to the new owner in thick and blocky kind of handwriting. And inside was a typed note. Michelle, have you heard this story before? I feel like I've read about this. Could be something very similar because I'm listening to it going ding, ding, like I've heard it. Some of our listeners will know about this and I'll explain a little bit later on. I'm just going to keep you on the edge of your seat in the meantime. So the note started out quite pleasant, but the tone quickly changed. It said, 
Dearest new neighbour, I have to do a voice for the note, there's a lot of the note in here. Dearest new neighbour at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighbourhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The author continued by saying that the house had been the subject of their family for decades and said that they had been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. Don't ask me to explain what, what? that's all about. It's bizarre. The note then went on to ask if Maria and, what's his name again? David, if the new owners knew what lies within the walls of the home and said that they would find out why they were there. Chilling. Oh my God. This is not what you want in your letterbox three days after buying your house, your dream house. Not at all. No. It's like finding out you've got weird neighbours. Well, kind of as an indication. (laughs) It's like finding out you've got a poltergeist in your house. You'd need Hazel, the psychic real estate agent, for a job like this, wouldn't you? Call her around. Anyway, this note then revealed that they had already begun watching the family and disclosed personal details like their Honda minivan and the fact that they had hired builders to renovate the home. The note then warned the couple that they would make the house unhappy if they changed or adapted it in any way. The note said, I see that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Oh, my God. This is awful. The note also said, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. (gasps) Oh my God! I'm trying to make it sound as weird as possible. Who am I? There are hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. (gasps) Look out of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all of the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And they signed off. The Watcher. Oh, my God. Forgive my crazy voice, but I feel like it needs to have that crazy voice. I loved it. The wording. I absolutely loved you putting on that voice. I was drawn in. There's much more to come. (laughs) Now, you may or may not recognize that name, The Watcher, because there is now a Netflix miniseries out by the guy who did American Horror Story, Ryan Murphy, and it's called The Watcher. Starring Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannavale, and it's based on this story. But if you've seen the show, you can probably work out that there's a lot of content, which is just artistic license. Like they've changed the family's names for a start. Okay. At one point in the TV series, there's a character as well that is introduced that is directly drawn from a convicted family killer, John List. Fans of true crime podcasts will know who this is. He was the one that in 1971 murdered his wife, his elderly mother and his two teenage children before going on the run for years before being caught. Right. Now, I know that I had said Westfield was a safe place to live, but this crime actually happened in Westfield, the list crime. That's why they've included it. In the new miniseries. Right. So back to the Broadus family. After receiving the first Watcher letter, 
Derek called the police who sent over an officer and he was surprised by the letter and asked if Derek had any enemies and recommended moving some equipment that the builders had left outside from the back porch in case it was used to break in. Smart. Derek then contacted the previous owners who were an elderly couple called The Woods. Now they told him that a few days before they had moved out, they too received a similar note, also signed by The Watcher, but they said it was the first and only one in 23 years of living there. Do you believe them? Well, in Derek's first note, there was this line. I asked The Woods to bring me young blood and it looks like they listened. Oh, yeah. So the Woods said they had actually thrown their letter out. But the day Maria and Derek visited them with their letters and they, you know, divulged that they had received one too, they all four went to the police to report it. Right. The police then said, don't tell anyone about this because all of your neighbours are now suspects. Oh, of course. Because you would think that just a little bit of like CCTV or a ring doorbell, you could see who's going to the mailbox to leave this. But it's, Are they uh, gonna, Is this going to get solved? I don't know. Wait and see, <laughs> Michelle. Wait and see. And I will say, you called him David before. So now the broadest family are incredibly anxious, Michelle. And at one point, Derek was giving a Renault tour to a couple of his new neighbours and silently freaked out when the woman said... It'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. <gasps> no. Yeah. So they're freaking out. They're seeing signs everywhere. Yeah. One day, the contractors arrived to find that a heavy sign they'd hammered into the front yard that night, the night before, had been ripped out the next morning. And two weeks after the first note, and the family had yet to move in, Maria went round and discovered the second note. Oof. This one was addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis, and it appeared as though the watcher was close enough to hear their conversations. No. The note said it knew their three children's names, nicknames, birth order, and said, I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. It went on to ask if the contractors the couple had hired to work on the house had found what was in the walls yet in time they will <gasps> you see what i find strange is the watcher said do not make any adjustments to this house but by saying what's in the walls it makes you want to knock down every fucking wall smash some walls yeah, yeah. that's true he didn't think it through no they don't do they these stalkers this is more note You'll be able to tell because of my voice. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? <gasps> it is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. <laughs> will they sleep in the attic? Or will you sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. That last line. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. Oh, my God. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. <laughs> 
And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. <laughs> I actually that laugh wasn't in there. I just added, but that. it felt like it needed that maniacal <laughs> at the end. Well, you can imagine, Michelle. This was enough to stop Derek and Maria from bringing their kids to the house. Yeah. So they moved in with her mother nearby and discussed putting this house back on the market. Some weeks later, there was a third letter. <laughs> Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. (laughs) By this point, the family are coming up with theories. What about if the watcher was a potential buyer who lost out on the house? Was it an annoyed neighbor who hates kids or change? Who knows? But it was proven that these notes had been sent locally through the postal service. The first one was postmarked before the sale had even been made public. Oh, fuck. Okay, so they've got the inside intel exactly suspicions fell on one member of an unusual family who lived in close proximity of Derek and maria the langfords in the letter found by maria the watcher mentioned one of their children in the note they asked if the child was an artist because the watcher had seen an easel that had been set up on the back porch shielded from view by vegetation and the langford's house has a vantage point because their house was right next door to the easel on the porch the family that lived there had been there since the 60s when the watcher's father the letters had said had begun observing 657 boulevard right in the note it had said the 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard and when I ran from room to room imagining life with the rich occupants there the house was full of life and young blood then it got old and so did my father but he kept watching until the day he died and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again oh my god fucking weird it's right? so fucking weird <laughs> but I think they've cracked the case here because Michelle's cracked it obviously the Langfords don't have a fancy house there may be the poor house on the street perhaps I don't think so Michelle I think all the houses on this street are pretty swanky I will tell you that Richard Langford, who was the father of the Langford family, had been dead 12 years and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades, right? Okay. One of the sons, Michael Langford, was in his 60s and lived with his mother, who was now in her 90s, and several of the siblings in the Langford house. Another neighbour described this family as being odd, with Michael being particularly unusual. He'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man and had been known to behave strangely at times. He'd walk through neighbours' back gardens or peek through windows of homes being renovated. Now, I'm sorry, but that's not strange behaviour if I had the opportunity to do that. I mean, I have done that. (laughs) I do that. You are the watcher. You're the peeper. I'm going to call you the peeper. I am the peeper. I am a curtain twitcher, I'm proud to (laughs) announce. Derek and Maria employed a private investigator and the former FBI agent, who, as it turns out, was also the inspiration for Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. What? Somehow Derek knew her from being on a high school board of trustees with this woman. There's apparently two ladies that inspired Clarice Starling, and she was just one of them. So these agents staked out the house, performed background checks on all the Langfords, but nothing of interest was ever discovered. Mm. So no evidence meant that Michael was cleared. The Broaders family 
still lived in fear and Derek was becoming obsessed by the threatening letters. Yeah. With no help from police, he resorted to webcams, as you suggested earlier, Michelle. No ring doorbells. They hadn't been invented yet. But then he went on to spend nights surveilling the house to see who was watching. Yeah. He even made a timeline with um, all the neighbours when they moved to the area because of all the information he'd gleaned from these notes. The Langfords were the only ones there since the 60s. And Derek's map also had possible sight lines for the easel and a circle for approximate range of earshot to see if he could figure out who might have heard Maria yelling their children's names. And only a couple of houses fit all of these criteria yep in agreement with police Derek and Maria then sent a letter to the Langford family announcing plans to tear down the house hoping to catch them out in a Colleen Rooney style bluff but nothing happened oh nothing came of that all right do you think that the Langfords knew that they'd gone to the police? Maybe they thought, we're on to your bluff. Well, yeah, they knew that they had gone to the police because they were questioning them. Detectives brought Michael Langford in for interview after interview, but nothing ever came out of it. Yeah, okay. And eventually his sister made harassment accusations against police. The family were really dragged through it. Right. So not just the Broadus family, but also the Langfords. So then the Broadus family hired a lawyer who met with several members of the Langford family as well as their attorney to show the letters and photos to illustrate, you know, all the information that the Broadus family had collected. Yeah. And also to show how easily that they could have seen the easel and why they were considered as the suspects. Yeah. The police were then convinced that after speaking to Michael Langford that the Broadus family would not receive any more letters. But they did. Oh, And no proof of Michael's involvement could ever be proven. So after his death in 2020, this family are still furious about what he went through. Right. So maybe the Broadus family and police were barking up the wrong tree with the Langfords, especially as the private investigator they'd hired found two child sex offenders within a few blocks of their home. However, a DNA test on the envelopes had determined that the writer of these notes was a woman. Plot twist. Twist. So the investigators then decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, who was Michael's sister Mm -hmm. and worked as a real estate agent. Her water bottle was secretly acquired to check the DNA against the letters, but it was not a match. Oh. So they all go back to the drawing board and pulled in the former residents, the Woods family, and their 21-year-old son for questioning, just as the Broadus family were considering going after the Woods for not disclosing the letter that they had received before selling the house to them. Mm. They were hoping for just like a, a small, quiet settlement, but media got a hold of this and made all their lives absolutely unbearable. And advertised the fact that this house was the subject of threatening letters. Yeah. It turned out that another house on the street had also received a letter, which they too threw in the bin. But this was only discovered after the media interest yep. in a now deleted Facebook post and no one could trace the person who posted it initially. Right. Here's another strange incident reported by the Broadus's house painter one day he said he looked out over the garden to see that the people who lived behind 657 boulevard had a pair of deck chairs or lawn chairs strangely close to the broadest property and the painter saw a man sitting in one of them with the chairs facing the broadest property like basically watching them okay 
And that's in the film as well, in the TV show. Derek and Maria only told a few of their friends the truth about what was going on with the letters and everything because they had never moved into this house, right? Yeah. They were so freaked out. They told the rest of their friends that they weren't going to move in because of legal issues and then decided to rent out the property. <laughs> oh, shit. So the impact of this terror campaign meant that their relationship was strained and they needed medication to fall asleep. They're both in a state. Maria saw a therapist who told her she was suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome and needed to get rid of the house for it to abate. But they love the house. Well, not anymore. Gone right off it by the sound of it. It was the dream house. And I think mm. there must be part of you that thinks, oh, if only this stalker was gone, yeah. I could have my happy life. Well, New Jersey at this point was now a buzz with theories as word got out. The media was doing their own watching. Mm. Some of them thought it was just a prank. Oh. Some thought it was an estate agent trying to get the house back on the market so they could get their hands on it. Some people thought... It was a person living within the walls. Oh, my God. Scary. That's Bad Ronald. That's what happened to Bad Ronald. Bad Ronald, exactly. But some even suspected, as I did when writing this story, the broadest family themselves of sending the letters after deciding that they couldn't afford it, couldn't keep up with the mortgage repayments. It was way above their means. And perhaps they were trying to recoup their losses or scamming their way into a lawsuit against the Woods family for selling without disclosing. Right. Perhaps it was all part of a a money-making scam. That never even crossed my mind, but okay. The family were trying to find a way of getting rid of this property, including having it demolished to make way for a housing estate because the land it was on, there was so much. You could probably build 10 houses on there. It was huge. But then when there was a town meeting about it... A lot of the residents of the area were particularly unsympathetic towards the fate of the family and scuppered their plans. Then, one day in 2017, the renters handed Derek a letter that said, amongst other things, violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. (laughs) And it went on to say... Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day, after day after day. <laughs> maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. That's not funny. I know, it's just because I had to say day after day after day. Loved ones suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycles crash, bones break. This is all in the final note from The Watcher. The Watcher is covering all bases here. It's a witch. It's a poltergeist. It's a man living in the walls. It's a nutter. What the fuck? Derek could die and it could be a bicycle. It could be a cough. Tick, tick, tick. All the bases are covered. Not sure about this. Losing their minds, probably. The family eventually sold this house in 2019 for a $400,000 loss but not before several people on the boulevard received similar strange letters this time signed by a friend of the broadest family oh and it was only those who'd been really nasty about the family while the town planning meetings were happening or people that had written things on facebook like you know bring back tarring and feathering Mm -hmm. for these guys eventually Derek confessed to writing those but he insists They were the only ones he'd written and he'd never even told his wife about it. And in total, four letters were received between 2014 and 2017. But with none of those letters beforehand, except for the one that was thrown in the bin by the woods and the other one that couldn't be proven 
that was on Facebook. Right. Let me just get this straight. He admitted he had written some of the letters at the end. to the people who had been nasty to them. Yes. Okay. But the ones that he'd received, they only came through just as they were about to move in. So he, in his mind, says they were genuine threats. Yes. Now, police did test Maria's DNA, but it didn't match. Okay. Because I'm really thinking it was them and they just wanted to get rid of it. And they didn't think it through and then found out that it actually meant that their house lost value. But what I will say is no one ever found out any more than that. The investigation is no longer active, but it's not closed. And uh, that is the story of The Watcher. I mean, it's a brilliant name. I am The Watcher. But I did think there was going to be some kind of conclusion here. Sorry. Because it's so far-fetched. It's so crazy. It never occurred to me that it could be them freaking out about buying something above their means. And they took a hit on it. Yeah, they took a hit and it hasn't happened since. Yeah. And it wasn't happening before. So do you think that if he did indeed write those letters that they knew right from the start they were overextended and then they sent it to the woods? But did they send the letter to the woods before they... Well, yes, the woods received the letter before they closed. So they would have still been living there, but the sale had happened, I suspect. God, it all sounds quite elaborate. But they then employed all of the contractors and did the work, painted the house. Right. In my mind, if they freaked out and just wanted to sell the house and they'd done the work, just sell it. You're going to make a profit yeah. because you've done the work yeah. without the bad publicity. What if the stalker was actually the stalked? What do you mean? So you've just described the stalker. Right. You have told me all about a stalker and the reasons why a stalker does what they do. What if they turned that around and turned themselves into the victim of such stalking? Which is what you're suggesting the Broaders family I am. are claiming. Because, yes, they may have taken a hit on the house. And, yes, they had to live with her mother mm. and all of this. But they also managed to sell their story to lots and lots of different newspapers and Netflix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just saying. You think they did make some cash out of this? They did make some cash out of this. They definitely did. They sold the rights to their story to Netflix and the producers of the TV show, The Watcher. I wonder if they, like, how much they made and if they made enough to cover the $400,000 loss that they took on selling that house. Very interesting. I don't know what I think about all of that. I'm not sure if I think it was them, but you're right. Who else could it be in a way? The way the letters are written is so bizarre. I know. It's like a witch. Do you think they were trying to make it sound like an old person who'd written it and then laid the blame at the next door neighbours at the Langfords? Yeah, hmm. I do. Oh, I don't know, but they wouldn't have known the neighbours very well. Listen, whoever wrote the note, and I'm not saying it was the broadest family, but whoever wrote the note, they're not writing notes now. No. They're not. And nothing was ever found in those walls, I bet. And I do think that the Facebook post was probably just somebody jumping on the bandwagon or hearsay or legend. Yes, because you always get those people who confess to murders. Oh, I killed them. They had nothing to do with it. People who just want the spotlight. Wow, Geordie. That was, I was on the edge of my seat with that. I did feel like I was listening to a radio play or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, there was no conclusion. I know it's frustrating. Oh. I'm frustrated as well. But sometimes you've just got to let it sit and have a yeah. little think about it. And I was convinced on my third look at this story 
that it was them together, husband and wife. Yeah. Who am I to say? I don't want a letter. No. Don't come for me. Derek, Derek and Maria. <laughs> well, they're obviously very good at writing those letters. I think you're okay. Yeah. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get a letter in the mail. But imagine if we get the next voice note, and it's not a lovely, happy one from Shari or Safka. It's gonna be one that sounds like this: "I'm watching you eavesdropping, and we're watching you eavesdroppers." <laughs> But we have talked about this when we did that case way back in season one where we yes. were friends with a murderer and we felt a little bit like, what if he's out of jail? What if he comes for us? He's Googled his name. He's come across some hashtags. Shit. At least I lock my doors, Michelle. You don't. No one locks doors. Who knows what goes on in people's minds, especially the mind of a stalker. Well, now we've got a little bit of an idea thanks to Michelle. It's case closed. <laughs> but you know what? We've come to the end of the line here, Michelle. We need to now bid our listeners farewell. But remind them. Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eaves